today we are going to talk about what it means to be a neighbor and how mercy applies to that. We are in this series called Flip the Script. Um, It's all about the parables of Jesus, Um, these stories that point us to deeper spiritual truths that reveal what God's kingdom is all about. So we've been walking through these parables um, and just seeing what God has for us Um, Last week, if you remember, if you were here, Don talked about the parable of the rich fool. He was the man who kept building bigger and bigger barns um, to hold all of his possessions. And Don told us that we have to be alert to greed, which is so true, because greed can easily sneak in and overtake us if we're not careful. Um, But it was a reminder um, in this parable that the kingdom of God Um, our riches are found in heaven. They aren't found here on earth, but they are found in heaven. So this week we're talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan. You have probably heard this story. It's why when someone does a random act of kindness, we call them Good Samaritans, or why we have organizations like Samaritan's Purse. Um, So this story comes up a lot, and Don was joking with me this week, and he said, oh, Sarah, you get the easy parable, and it's all about love and compassion and good stuff like that. And I was like, okay, Don, I beg to differ, because this parable is all about mercy. And mercy is costly, and it's difficult. It doesn't come naturally to us. It has to come from somewhere else. And if you're someone who likes to know where I'm going today, the most important thing I'm going to say is we can show mercy because we've been shown mercy. We can show mercy because we've been shown mercy. So you can find the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, 25 through 37. If you have your journals, you can open that, and it is on page, oh, 38 for those of you who have your journal this morning. And I'm going to read the first section. So, Good Samaritan, here's how it starts. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So we have this man, this expert in religious law. He would be someone who knows the scriptures like the back of his hand. He has them memorized. He's probably been reciting these scriptures since he was a young boy. Like, he is really nailing this whole religion thing. Um, And Jesus asks him to recite the scriptures to answer his own question, to which he correctly replies, oh, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So he answers his own question, but then the religious man does a really human thing that I can relate to, and he tries to justify himself, and he says, but who is my neighbor? Basically, what do I need to do? Jesus, tell me exactly who I need to love, exactly what I need to do to get this whole religion thing right. You laugh, but I relate to this. 
I relate to the desire to do things right. Um, this last week, I was at the eye doctor, and you sit in the chair, right, and they put the lens, whatever that's called, over your eyes, and they ask you to le- read the lines in the chart. And I'm in the middle of this eye test, and I realized that I am trying so ridiculously hard to get that line right. Like, I am squinting and straining my eyes just so I can get every letter right in that line. Does anyone else do this? Just me. Okay, so who are we trying to impress? Am I trying to impress myself? Am I trying to impress the Costco eye doctor? I don't know, but I am being ridiculous, like trying to get this right, and it counts for nothing. And I think when it comes to following Jesus, we do the exact same thing. Jesus, show me the answers for the test. I want to know what you're going to test me on. Give me the cheat codes, whatever I need to do to get this whole religion thing right. How many church services do I need to attend? How can I really, like, nail your will for me and get that right? We just want to do the following Jesus thing correctly. And I think that that's what this man is getting at in the story. Who exactly is my neighbor? Because I'm going to go love that person that you tell me to love so that I can get it right. And instead of rebuking him, Jesus tells him a story, which is the beauty of the parables. It's stories to answer our deeper spiritual questions and to reveal to us what the kingdom of God is really about. So let's keep reading. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by to the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. The one who showed him mercy, now go and do the same. So the road that this man was found on was an 18-mile stretch in between Jericho and Jerusalem. Historians, all, they refer to this road as the bloody way because it was 18 miles of dangerous terrain. There was lots of nooks and crannies and caves that thieves and bandits would often hide in. So this attack on this man was not anything that was out of the ordinary. Um, and I imagine that when Jesus is telling this story to the religious man and he says the words, by chance, a priest came along that the religious man in his head is like, great, we know the hero of our story. 
obviously the priest, this man who's well acquainted with religion, he's going to be the one to stop and help the dying man, right? Well, we know that he does not, and he crosses the road to the other side. And I, I wonder if he crosses the road so that he doesn't have to see or um, really make acknowledgement of the fact that this man is dying. But that's a sermon for another day. Um, so then the story continues on. And it says, well, there's a temple assistant, a Levite, someone else who's been around a re religion his whole life. Surely he's going to be the one to stop. And we see that, nope, both men cross to the other side of the road. Now, the scripture doesn't say why those men didn't stop, but we can deduce some pretty good reasons. For one, um, according to Jewish law, because this man was bloody and wounded and dying, if one of these men would have gone to help him, to aid him, they would have been considered ceremonially unclean. So if the priest was going from Jericho to Jerusalem to perform like a temple service or something like that, he wouldn't be able to enter because of his uncleanliness. So that's a pretty good reason not to stop. Um, another reason could just be the fact that this road was so dangerous that it was very likely that if he would have stepped aside to help him, that he also could have been a dying man on the road. So both of these reasons are pretty good reasons. They're justifiable. But we still have our dying man in the street. So Jesus continues the story, and it says, a Samaritan comes along. And I imagine that at this point, the Jewish or the religious man probably scoffs to himself and thinks, there's no way the Samaritan is a hero of the story. Um, you should know that the Jews and the Samaritans had a deep-rooted hatred for each other. Um, they had political, cultural, social animosities between each other. They hated each other like poison. So the fact that the story continues to say that the Samaritan was the one to stop to help the Jewish man is simply unfathomable. It's not just wild. It is completely out of the question based on their cultural and religious opposition to each other. So Jesus completely flips the script when a Samaritan is the one to stop for a Jew. This breaks all sorts of religious and social laws and is probably completely backwards to a man who's an expert in religion, who's trying to check all the right religious boxes. So the story ends by a profound answer to the original question. Who is my neighbor? The one who showed him mercy, now go and do the same. Mercy. One definition of mercy is compassion or forgiveness towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. Compassion or forgiveness towards someone whom you could justifiably punish or harm. That's mercy. And we see that in the story, that this Samaritan easily could have carried along on his way, or quite honestly, he could have kicked that dying man in the gut and just run the other direction. 
that would have been justifiable based on their cultural hatred for each other. But we see mercy. The man does the opposite. He bounds up his wounds with wine and oil. He puts him on his donkey, which probably means that this man was walking miles and miles on foot, on the bloody way, which is crazy. Um, He takes him to an inn where he pays for his stay and then promises to come back and pay for any extra. This is profound mercy, and it's leaking out of this story, and it points to something. First of all, it points to the fact that mercy is costly. This man had a plan. He was on a journey, and this totally derailed his original plan. He went out of his way to take care of this man. Not to mention, it cost him a ton of money. It was costly. He bent down low to meet the need of a stranger who was in dire need of help. Um, If I'm being honest with you, I struggle with mercy. As I was processing through this parable, and lamenting to my husband that I got the parable about mercy, which is really hard for me, Um, kind of fishing for him to prove me wrong, you know, as we do. (laughs) This is what he said to me. He said, well, you're kind of good at mercy. (laughs) Which is like the nicest way to say, you're right, you're really bad (laughs) at this. It stings, but it's true. I can hold a grudge like no one's business, I'm all good until you hurt me, and then, like, I'm out. And it's hard for me to forgive. It's hard for me to turn the other cheek once I've been hurt. My humanity fails me in the area of mercy, but Jesus, we can show mercy because we've been shown mercy. We can show mercy because we've been shown mercy. And the best part of it is that I don't have to force it. I don't have to dig to the depths of me to find the shard of mercy that lives in there. Our mercy comes from a merciful Jesus. It comes straight from him. The story of the Good Samaritan is a story of profound mercy. Active compassion towards someone who deserved to be left for dead. And if we zoom out of that story, it's actually about us. The story of the gospel is that we were the man lying in the ditch. We were left for dead. We were not only wounded and dying, but we were dead in our sin. Completely unable to bring ourselves any sort of healing. Completely unable to dig out of that hole ourselves. We are simply bent towards sin. That's our nature. And we were dead in it. And the beautiful story of the gospel is that Jesus climbed into that ditch with us. He knew that we desperately needed his mercy. When he had it within his power to punish us for that sin, he climbed in with us. And the beauty, the beautiful part of the gospel is that he pulled us out. He offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins that we may be made whole again. 1 Peter 2.10 says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now we have received mercy. 
And scripture says it doesn't run out. It says his mercies for us are new every morning. He rescued us out of um, our, the death of our sin, and he made us whole again. And now day by day, we get those new mercies again and again. We can show mercy because we've been shown mercy. We can show mercy because we've been shown mercy. And it's through understanding and receiving Christ's mercy that we can freely shift it to other people. As hard as it is when we've been hurt or um, we felt like we've been sinned against, it's much easier for me to back away, right? But because of Christ's mercy, I know that I need that mercy just as much as whoever's in front of me. It's only through his mercy that we can show mercy because mercy is messy, it's time-consuming, and it's difficult. So... How do I live out mercy in my day-to-day life? That's a hard one. First of all, you should know that there's no formula for mercy. There's no three boxes that you can check. But I do want to give you just three components of mercy that hopefully will lead you as you try to show mercy to the people around you. So three things. One, mercy sees the need. Mercy lowers oneself. And mercy raises up another. Mercy sees the need. In this story, it says that the Good Samaritan saw the man and he had compassion on him. He saw him. The crazy part of this story is that he didn't just see that he's a Jew, someone who he had animosity with, but he saw him as a human someone who is in dire need of help. And I wonder if we look at people as humans, just like us, who need mercy in the same ways that we do, do we really see them? If all I see are the reasons why someone may be in the predicament they're in, or why um, helping them would disadvantage me in some way, or why they would burden me in whatever way. If all I see is those things, then I'm not really going to see their need. And their need for mercy is just as great as mine. We have to see people as worthy of mercy, people who are made in the image of God, and people who are worthy of that mercy. Okay, second, mercy lowers oneself. Mercy lowers oneself. In the parable, the Samaritan man got down off of his donkey, and he put the other man on top so that he could ride, and he walked alongside. He got down low, and he stooped into that mess to help the man and to see his need. Lowering oneself is climbing into someone else's misery or affliction and saying, hey, let's do it together Let me see if I can help you. Um, There's a great book. It's called Vulnerable by Riley Sadler. And there's a line in it that says, We can't love other people well when we're standing at a safe distance. Though situations may vary, when we meet people in the middle of their pain, we will often find ourselves exposed to risk. There is a cost associated with loving other people. We can't love other people well at a safe distance away. 
we have to be close. We have to lower ourselves to meet them where they are and to do it with them. Whether the ditch, the figurative ditch they're in is betrayal or depression or divorce or fear or just life is hard, we can relate to that. We have ditches of our own and we need mercy just as much as the next person. Okay, finally, mercy raises up another. Mercy raises up another. The Good Samaritan put the man on his donkey and he, he walked alongside on foot. Do we see other people were as worthy of mercy? Do we see other people as worthy of disadvantaging myself so that I can raise them up? Putting other people above ourselves gives us just a glimpse of the sacrifice of Jesus. I will never understand um, the fact that Jesus, who was God, made himself like us. He entered into our mess. He entered into our humanity. He entered into our sin so that he could be made like man. And he could live a human life just to be killed on a cross for us. That is profound mercy. Philippians 2 um, which is probably the best chapter on Jesus becoming a, ser a servant and becoming like us. Um, six through seven, it says, Though he was in the form of man, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He emptied himself for us. He lowered himself to raise us up. When I look at other people, am I willing to lower myself to raise them up? Mercy makes that possible when we fully grasp it. So I'll close by going back to the original question asked by the religious man. Who is my neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Who is it that I'm supposed to be showing mercy to? Um, Amy Hollingsworth, she wrote a book about Mr. Rogers, and she said that his definition of neighbor was simple. The person you happen to be with at the moment. Your neighbor is the person you happen to be with at the moment. Who is the person you happen to be with at the moment? Um, a few weeks ago, I was on an airplane, and you should know that I'm an introvert, and when I get on an airplane, I am ready to put my headphones in, I had my movies downloaded, I was all ready to go, and I sat down, and the lady next to me started chatting it up with me. And we exchanged pleasantries, and then I was like, all right, gonna put in my headphones, and that was not gonna happen. She was gonna keep talking to me. And if you think all your pastors are super pastoral on airplanes, you may wanna find another church. <laughs> I just wanted to put my headphones in. I wanted to watch my movies. She was talking to me. So I realized that was not going to happen. So we started chatting. Somehow in the course of the conversation, she got to the fact that she had just lost a daughter-in-law and that both of her sons were going through horrible seasons of life. And I look over and she's like weeping on an airplane 30,000 feet in the air, 
just weeping, and she says, I know that God put you next to me today for a reason, and you should know that I did nothing. I was half annoyed the whole time. All I did was listen. I just listened, and I asked a few questions. But that experience made me realize that God puts you with your neighbor, whoever that may happen to be, for a specific reason. And we have to see the need. That day I did not see the need. I saw my need. But whoever you happen to be with at the moment, God has something for you or for them there. Jesus gives us those opportunities to extend mercy and it's the same mercy that we've been shown. So for you, it could be an old friend. It could be a son or daughter. It could be the man in the elevator. I don't know. But God has given you that specific opportunity to extend mercy. And maybe that's a listening ear. Or it's a safe place. Or it's a hug. Or a smile. It's a few dollars. I don't know. But we have to be open to whatever God may have for us there. How can I show mercy to the person that I happen to be with at the moment? We can show mercy because we've been shown profound mercy. I'm going to pray for us. Lord, our mercy comes from you. We can't create it. We can't make it. We can't fake it. It comes from you. I just pray that we would be vessels of your mercy, that we'd be willing to see the needs of the people around us and to be Jesus to them. Thank you for being our best example of what mercy is. You made yourself like us. You entered into our mess because of your great love for us, Lord. And I just pray that you would remind us of that when we forget. Thank you for the testimony that we have in you from death to life, Lord. And I pray that we would return the favor with mercy to your people. We love you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.